Welcome to Alpha Coding Podcast, an all-access pass to medical coding and billing pro tips that help you start your week off smarter. And now, here is your host, Tony L. Holmes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Alpha Coding Podcast series. I am your host, Tony L. Holmes. Welcome to episode six of the podcast. Today is February 10th, and I'm super excited to report the podcast has just passed 2,500 downloads in our first month of airing. This is unbelievable, and my listeners, you guys are unbelievably supportive and incredible, and I seriously cannot thank you enough. It really blows my mind that the podcast has been so popular, and we cannot wait to just keep showing up every single Monday, providing you with amazing, valuable content. So thank you for your support. I invited a special guest to join us on the show for today's episode. Our guest is a successful entrepreneur and recruiting expert, and we're going to discuss the power of having a recruiter in your back pocket and how to maximize your relationship with a recruiter. So there's going to be some great pro tips. Before we dive into our interview, it's time for your Monday dose of positivity the Mindset Monday tip, and it's brought to you by Telehealth and Medicine Today, which is an open access international peer-reviewed journal where thought leaders, practitioners, and stakeholders converge to address strategic, medical, technical, legal, economic, and social aspects of digital health. Visit telehealthandmedicinetoday.com for more information. Our Mindset Monday tip, it's all about how to handle adversity, and that is part of everyone's journey. John Maxwell, he's one of my favorite speakers, and he said, one of the major keys to success is to keep moving forward on the journey, making the best of the detours and interruptions, turning adversity into advantage. And I couldn't agree more with John Maxwell. He is so inspiring and it's all about taking what is working against you and making it work for you. So embrace the struggle. It's all part of the journey. So our guest for today is Bertram Lanzico, and he joins us from Tampa, Florida. Bertram is the owner of Renowned Talent, a healthcare recruiting firm. He is a regular guest on industry podcasts, a frequently requested speaker, and the host of the very popular Ask a Recruiter video series. I invited him on the show today to discuss the power of having a recruiter in your back pocket and his best pro tips for maximizing your relationship with a recruiter. Thank you for joining us today, Bertram. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So recruiters, for the most part, they kind of get a bad rap. Why should a healthcare professional have a recruiter in their back pocket? Well, Tony, I think it comes down to us um, being able or our inability to predict the future. I love to ask you, Tony, can you predict the future when it comes to your career or when you are working in corporate? It's a great question, and I think it stumps a lot of people, but you have to constantly ask yourself that question. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then we just saw in the news, I think it was uh, yesterday, um, 3M just announced that they're going to be laying off um, due to a restructuring over 1,500 individuals. And when I read the little brief bulletin, it talked about all departments um, you know, being affected. And that's just the thing. There are three groups of candidates I, I usually assist, the actively seeking, the passively seeking. But the biggest group and the most vulnerable of the three are the folks that did not know or 
because of reduction in force or them being fired or laid off, they're looking for a job. They do not have a resume ready. They are not prepared to make it make a change. They're not even like mentally or physically ready to make that change. So I think just because we cannot predict the future, it definitely doesn't hurt in today's generation and in our industries to have a recruiter in our back pocket just in case we may need some help or assistance to find that next great opportunity. You bring up a great point about 3M and and a lot of people think that they have job security and the job that they're in is going to be around forever. So I really appreciate you highlighting that. Absolutely. So what are some of the advantages of working with a recruiter versus engaging an organization directly? Well, for the most part, if an organization has a decent amount of employees, I'd say anywhere above 50 to 100 employees, when you would usually apply directly for an organization, your resume and your application is likely not be reviewed directly by the hiring manager. It may be someone in um, HR, it may be someone from a recruiting perspective, but I feel like that's a great disadvantage. And most of the time when you're working with a recruiter, we usually deal directly with the hiring manager. And one of the big things that we can do is we can be your advocate. You know, when you're applying to a system and it says that, hey, all these things are required and you do not get the job, there's no one to be your lawyer, your advocate, or to rebuttal. But for us as a recruiter, we can go ahead and say, hey, this person has this experience. We can verify experience, but usually they don't do that when you're applying directly for a healthcare system or an organization online through the applicant tracking system. They'll just say that this person does not meet the qualifications. Definitely. And that ATS system, that is just, I mean, it's massive, right? The amount of resumes and things that come through every day, people would not even believe it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I've seen it where a job posted within 24 hours can have dozens to hundreds of um, applicants. And the thing is that we have to go through and qualify and disqualify. And that's the thing. It doesn't allow us the opportunity to actually go through and do an extreme detailed search on everyone. Right. So you're really expediting the process by having a recruiter in your back pocket because you already have that relationship. Absolutely. And we're also very um, a targeted or niche. So what we would do is we would speak to a candidate instead of submitting them to, let's say, five opportunities, we'll likely choose the one or two opportunities that are best match for them, their skill set, and what they're looking for at that time. For sure. So you see hundreds of resumes daily. What are your top three pro tips for creating a resume that stands out from the rest of the competition? Absolutely. The first pro tip would be to keep it short and sweet. Hiring managers have been documented and surveyed to spend less than 10 seconds doing a first round review of a resume. So that means within the first 10 seconds, you have to display your interests, your credentials, your experience, and how you may be the best fit for the position. Um, It's a challenge for some uh, and most, but definitely trying your best to keep it down. Short and sweet, one to two pages. Pro tip number two, is to list your relevant skills or experience. I'm not saying about leaving experience out, but a lot of times, let's say someone was a school bus driver, nothing wrong with that job. But if you're applying to, let's say, a coding, auditing, something within HIM, you want it to display the skills related to those jobs that would relate to coding. And that would be, let's say, um, quality, efficiency, productivity. But just to list the things that you did on a day-to-day basis is not relevant to the positions um, folks are usually applying. And the third pro tip is to always tweak, update, and get suggestions, professional suggestions on how you can improve your resume. When we do that, our resume gets to a point of being, I'd say, perfect. But what happens is, and I've did this a lot of my, myself early in my career, 
I was the only one reviewing my resume and then a hiring manager or ATS system. But once I learned to actually start leveraging the expertise from other hiring managers, even if they were not in my field, they were able to give me some really great feedback and critique it. I was able to improve my resume. And when my resume got to the right position, I was able to get the job I was ideally seeking. That is a really great story. And I'm, I'm glad that you shared that. 10 seconds. That's a tough statistic. 10 seconds. I think it's, it's closer to eight or wow. so seconds, but we'll just round it off to 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got to really get that top of your resume in tip top shape. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the thing. When you're applying to a system, essentially you just have that one chance. Your resume and your application is going to be filed. Every time you reapply to an opportunity, they're going to see the positions that you did not qualify for. If you haven't qualified or got you know, dismissed for the last two times they had the same opening, that person is going to scratch their head and think if you may really be the right fit. So it's really a good and a best practice for all of us as a pro tip to have our resumes formatted in the best way and critique. And you bring up a great point with the technology because there's essentially, there's a tracker for all of your activity with the organization from the first time. And that could have been, you know, two, three years ago, right? Absolutely. So that's something that's working against the um, employee as they're applying. They have to think about, okay, how many times have I applied for this job? Yes, yes, exactly. So in the digital age, everyone has a social media account. Talk to our listeners about social media and how their profile information impacts the recruiting process. I think social media is definitely one of the things a lot of us take for granted. And I know a lot of folks are saying, well, Bertram, I'm of an older generation and um, I'm not going to put myself out there on social media. I hate Facebook. I hate all of these things. Um, I understand and I respect everyone's opinion. But the thing is, is whenever we find a new person is hired for our organization, welcome, Tony Elholmes and Bertram Lansker will be joining us today. What's the very first thing that we all do, Tony? We Google the names. Who are these people? Where have they worked? What is their career history? And usually LinkedIn or Facebook or these Instagram, like these accounts are going to pop up first unless you have a company paid for yourself. And what I love about social media, and this is a great advantage to all of us, especially candidates and employees, it allows you to control the narrative. Instead of someone just saying that, oh, I see Bertram got a scholarship back in high school like, or back in college when you went to this university, you're able to display a lot of that as well as your credentials, your experience, a good profile pic. So they're not just going by something very random that they can see on, on Google. For example, what if somebody has a similar name to yourself, they Google it and it looks unprofessional and inappropriate. When you're able to put yourself out there, put your credentials, they can confirm it to you by your location and you'll be able to control that narrative. So I think social media right now is definitely a very big player. Also, when it comes to very, like, let's say, client-facing positions, I've also seen hiring managers Google just to see what else is out there because that person is going to be possibly representing the company. And the clients are likely doing the same thing as well. Definitely. And I really like your insight about controlling the narrative because it's a golden opportunity to put yourself out there in a way that is professional and demonstrates your expertise. Absolutely. And this is another thing. I think another fear for a lot of folks, um, as it comes back to the first question we had in the podcast episode today, is, well, Bertram, if I make a social media profile, folks are going to be reaching out to me. I don't want to be hounded. You can go into your privacy settings and you can control how many times or if people will be able to reach out to you. And let's say recruiters just blow up your profile, right? You have all these messages. You have all of those emails please take it as a compliment. 
save those messages for when you may really need a position or you may be able to help somebody else find a position and just respond to those individuals like myself saying, Bertram, thank you, but now is not the best time. We will likely not hound you and you may reach back out to us, reconnect with us when it's a better time for you. Right. It's all about getting the timing right. And, and like you said, it never hurts to just send a message and say, not today, but never know. Exactly. So how would you advise someone that has worked with a recruiter before or recruiting agency, and maybe they had a bad experience? So for example, I hear a lot, recruiters become non-responsive or the recruiter has misled a candidate about a particular opportunity. This can be really discouraging, especially when you're in that transition period. So how would you advise someone? So what I would say is um, on behalf of recruiters in the industry, I would just like to apologize because sometimes it's not to our own faults. I remember working in corporate and the job descriptions and just details about the job that would be very important to the employment of everyone who's listening to this. We may even be misled. So when we go out and we start recruiting for these opportunities and sometimes the opportunities even change as we are recruiting them, let's say from being remote to now requiring people to be on site and travel on site. When we know our candidates and you know they've made Every, everything is good except that one simulation that they cannot travel. So sometimes it's very hard, but just because you've been burned by a recruiter or had a very bad experience doesn't mean that we should never utilize a recruiter. My first experience in my professional life with a recruiter was not positive. And today, funny enough, I'm, a, I'm an advocate for recruiters, right? But it doesn't mean that I, that I would have uh, shunned off recruiting or recruiters in general, just because we have a bad contractor or we have a bad person that cuts our grass or early and young enough, our, our first kiss, right, was a bad kiss. Doesn't mean we stop kissing. Doesn't mean we, we stop putting ourselves out there. If you have a bad experience, I would just encourage you to go out and find a better one. These days and the recruiters of today are a lot different than recruiters from 20 years ago. Recruiters from 20 years ago were headhunters, right? They just wanted to get you out of a job so they can fill a job. Recruiters right now, we have a reputation. If we, you know, don't perform very well and that gets out, that could be our whole career. So I think a lot more recruiters these days are a lot more mindful. We're also a lot more respectful to everyone's time and, and careers. And just for me, the way that I work as a recruiter, I am highly respected, respectful to everyone. And I also treat every candidate as they're a member of my family, meaning I'm not just going to take someone out of position to, to fill or satisfy my clients. I do love and adore my clients and I'll do the best that I can for them, but I also have to do my best for the candidates. So if you're able to find a recruiter that can also put your needs a priority, um, not just overfilling a job, I think that's definitely in the makings of a really good recruiter. For sure. And it's not about a transaction, right? It's the relationship. Absolutely. There's so many people that I've helped over and over again. Um, Tony, me just being a guest on your podcast is through a built relationship. Um, that's probably a topic that we can say for a whole nother episode, right? But just the power of relationships and when you know that, hey, I have this person in my back pocket and it's always nice. I can always turn to, to Bertram or Tony when I'm in a pinch. It always helps. So what are some of the soft skills that you see most valued in today's market? I think this is actually perfect for coding because usually whenever folks are hired for a position, you're, let's say, hired to do inpatient coding. And I don't know why, Tony, but this always happens. It requires folks to be flexible. And what I mean by that is, I mean, even if the job description was two pages long, right, the person gets the job. Okay. And within the first two weeks, like, oh my goodness, Tony, we need you to come in or code a little bit for us this weekend. When your job title is an auditor, when you are a manager, when you're doing something outside of just coding. And what I've realized is that 
the job descriptions have even changed even during the recruitment process. What I mean is a, a business is an entity. It's always changing. It's always evolving. And just because right now there's not a big DNFD buildup, right, backlog, doesn't mean they can't be one by the end of the month. So while you go through the, the you know, let's say the uh, onboarding process and everything goes through, it may change. So I think being flexible as much as you can professionally it's definitely going to help. It's also going to help the employer and they're really going to think about you and just remember you in a very good light. Also all of your coworkers. Um, this, the second soft skill I would say is definitely having a really good drive and passion for your industry and for your position. I can tell you there have been a lot of folks that I place, especially on the executive teams of companies, and they'll talk to these folks that have all this, this experience, but in them speaking and interviewing the person, they don't almost feel like they're a little bit dry, like they're just going to work for a paycheck. And a lot of times we want to work with folks that are very energetic. It doesn't mean you're, you're the head cheerleader of the company or the mascot, but just have a, a drive and a passion to, to do the best work that you can do. And also a cultural fit. And this is very hard because you're thinking, well, hey, Bertrand, I'm being interviewed for this job and why does a cultural fit matter? A cultural fit matters is because that's the way that the organization is going to treat their employees, respect their employees, how often they're going to need or have, um, I'm seeing these days, some companies are having video conferences to bring their team members together. So even though everybody's remote, they're doing more video calls. And for some, that may be a very big put off and they're not interested in those opportunities. For others, they would actually appreciate the chance to see their other team members and connect with them and not just be a name in an email. So also just being a really good cultural fit, I would say, would be um, you know, a, a really good and a very big soft skill that a lot of uh, managers are looking for. Those are great skills to profile. I, I love the flexibility and, and culture. Culture is king. It's so important to do your research and make sure that you're working with a company that aligns with your culture and, and what you feel is important to you. Yes. And I've had the experience of actually getting it wrong on the culture fit in a very negative way. I had somebody that was a huge performer, but it just wasn't a cultural fit. And you know what's so interesting? While that person was a part of our team, it almost seemed like even though we, we did everything that we could professionally to close jobs and do everything from a crew perspective right, no one was happy. And as soon as that person was no longer a part of the team, everybody just loved their job and they remembered why they wanted to work for our company. So cultural fit is definitely a very big one. Absolutely. So in today's job market, what is a, a realistic timeline for someone looking to get placed from start to finish? In the height of ICD-10 days, we were hiring people within three days. I mean, we would speak to someone on Monday, by end of day, Wednesday, early Thursday, they had a new job opportunity. And this was very real, tangible, and they can work for the organization for years. Post ICD-10 within HIM, I've seen it take usually a few weeks uh, to a month. And it can take longer depending on how many steps they have in the interview process, as well as onboarding. Um, some companies do not extend offer letters until somebody actually goes through and passes uh, a background screen. And if that would require any on-site interviews, face-to-face -face interviews, just a coordination of folks to actually get a like get the time and the managers to get a time to meet that person wherever they are and those types of things or bring them to the office, it can take much longer than a month. So for those folks that are looking for those opportunities, um, outside of the onboarding process and the usual two weeks, it definitely takes a little bit longer. I'll say three weeks to a month on average right now. Wow. So again, the advantage of having that recruiter in your back pocket, kind of always surveying what's out there as far as inventory, it just pays off. Absolutely. And right now I'm seeing a very common 
trend among my clients that do um, coding recruitment and placement. They're having these candidates take multiple tests. So you're taking a test with, let's say, that organization, and then you're taking another test or even two tests with the final client, unless you want to work directly for a healthcare system. You may have to take multiple tests too, and that just further um, prolongs or delays that process. So tell us more about Renowned Talent and what makes you different than the other recruiting firms out there. Well, I've been involved in HIM for over eight years, and I'll say the last three and a half to four years of that, I was also managing the agency relationships around 15 to 18 agencies that I managed to help support um, the company I was working for last. I mean, we had over 7,000 employees. Um, I think we had over like three or so thousand here domestically. And it was just a major operation. So we needed to rely on um, external agencies. But while I was doing that, I just saw the good, bad, and the ugly. One of my pet peeves, I, I mean, I hate to talk about anything negative, right? But we have to be very real, as we say, Tony, is whenever you're working with someone, but they're not specialized within that industry. And it's not that I wouldn't be willing to give anyone a chance. And they definitely had some roles that we were very desperate for the right talent, right? So we would really work with anyone, but it's getting all of those promises about how folks can help, but they really couldn't help. That's what really wasted our time. And then, you know, folks are just out to, let's, let's say, get contract signed that, hey, we're working with this big company and they can advertise it but then they don't have to really send us anyone. So when I started this agency, I said, you know, we're gonna be very specific within HIM and healthcare IT, and we're gonna definitely treat um, people much better. I know a lot of agencies are just very focused on the client. Hey, Tony, they wanna hire you, they, they love you, like, let's go. But I always pause and I always wanna check the candidate and make sure the candidates feel good. So we try our best to make sure that not only the clients feel really good about our candidates, but also the the candidates feel really good about the clients. And I'm never going to just push somebody through a process, force somebody through a role that is not be that's not the best for them. Another thing that makes us different is we tend to not send candidates some multiple opportunities. What that usually does, and I also experienced this as well, Tony, is that I'll be talking to the recruiter or the salesperson for the agency, and they're like, well, Bertram, you know, if you're not ready to really make a move, it's likely this, this candidate's going to get a job offer tomorrow or day after tomorrow. And I always ask myself, how did you know that because I usually find out after the fact right after somebody has accepted their job and right. what they would usually do they usually send them to all of their clients so I believe it's a, it's a best practice if I know and the candidate has let me know what's the, what's best for them isn't it better for me to just send them to one job opportunity at a time so that's another big thing for us we've been in the business for a while and I just thought that you know we want to do something a little bit different um, another main motivator for me to start this um, start my own agency is that I just really love recruiting. I just really love helping people. That's one of the reasons why we have the Ask a Recruiter video series, um, to be a, a voice and help people learn a little bit more on the backside of everything that goes on and what we are looking for as recruiters, but also just to be able to do as much as I can within recruiting. If I continued in corporate, it was going to send me up a road and a path that I was just chasing the corporate ladder, but I wasn't chasing or creating my own ladder. With this agency, I can really create a ladder as tall or as wider in any direction as I would like. That's very powerful. And I can definitely relate to your story as far as being an entrepreneur and really seeing that opportunity. And I just get such a sense of passion from you that you're really passionate about helping people and building relationships. Well, thank you. Thank you. And that's one of the things I always realized when I first got started in recruiting that I couldn't help everyone. But if I could help point them in the right direction, um, I think I've done my job. As you said, it's, it's not just transactional. It's really by relationships. 
and that's what we're trying to do and really change the industry and how it's viewed and how folks view recruiters. So what are your top three pro tips for maximizing your relationship with a recruiter? So the first I would say is to be understanding. Um, what I mean by that is be understanding of their time. Um, recruiters are very busy. Um, everyone's reaching out to us. We want to respond to everyone. We want to be responsive. I get as many emails as I do get LinkedIn messages and Facebook messages. It's not something that I'm complaining about, but let's say I'm, I may check Facebook in the morning and maybe I didn't get a chance to check them until later that evening or the following day. But folks would almost think, well, Bertram's ignoring me because he hasn't responded. A lot of times with these platforms, we have to go in. And because we usually get so many, not so many notifications, the notifications may be turned off or we just have to go into those apps. So I'd say the first one is to be understanding. Um, the second, I would say, is to be persistent. You know, if you feel that someone has missed your message or hasn't responded, follow up within a few days or a week and say, just say, hey, hey, Bertram, did you get my last email or you know, am I still a fit for this position? A lot of times with these apps, what we'll do is if you happen to click on the message or if you view the message, but you forgot to write a message or follow up or hit send, it won't go through. And I've had folks also tell me, say, Bertram, I had my whole response typed out to you, but I forgot to hit send and it didn't go to you. Right. I think like, for example, within LinkedIn, if you hit enter, it just goes down a line. It doesn't actually send it. I believe on Facebook, if you hit enter, it actually sends it. So sometimes we get confused and don't, I think don't be shy to just follow up, right? And just be persistent in that. And also just be professional. You know, just because um, a recruiter may not be able to help you, it's not, it's not an excuse to get nasty. And what I can say for all recruiters, and I speak for all recruiters in every single industry, if we can, we want to help you, okay? It, it helps us to, to help you. It helps us financially. It helps our organization. It helps our clients. But a lot of times, if we're not able to help you, folks almost try to pin us like, well, you don't want to give me a job. You don't want to give me an opportunity. I had this happen uh, this week. A candidate reached out to me and I actually had a scheduled call. Um, the person that I had the scheduled call with was not able to attend the meeting. We have to reschedule. That's fine. So I decided to call this candidate because they're having trouble and they're having issues trying to find the job. And I spoke with them and I said, hey, you know, I give you all of these tips and suggestions, try them and then reconnect with me. And then after the call, I get an email. Well, Bertram, if you would just give me a chance, if you give me an opportunity, believe me, I, I am not the hiring manager. And if I could hire everyone, I would. But we are only able to do what we're able to do. And I think if somebody's able to give you some suggestions and some tips as to how you can best serve yourself, listening to this podcast is definitely one of them. It's good to try those resources, get the information, and then go and apply it. But we are usually seeking Tony, and Tony should help me. And why isn't Tony helping me? Maybe the best Tony could have done is just refer you to someone else that may be a good resource or refer you to a really good recruiter that may be able to help you. So I say be understanding, uh, be persistent, and be professional. Those are great pro tips, Bertram. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I definitely love to be back again. And for, for those folks that may be listening to this, feel free to reach out to me and connect with me on LinkedIn. And if you see um, any of our Ask Recruiter videos, feel free to comment, share, and ask your own questions if you may have any. Thank you for taking the time to join us today, Bertram. To learn more about Bertram, visit renowntalent.com for more information. I want to start sharing a coding pro tip with you each week based on some of the questions I receive from our listeners. So if you have a coding related question and would like it to be featured in one of our coding pro tips, please reach out to me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, wherever you frequent and 
Today's coding pro tip is brought to you by Virtual Physical Therapist, the nation's leading telerehabilitation provider. For more information, visit virtualphysicaltherapist.com. Our coding pro tip is all about incident to compliance. One of our listeners reached out and said, Tony, does a provider have to be enrolled and credentialed with Medicare in order to bill incident two? And the answer is yes. In order for you to meet the incident two requirements, one of the first things that has to be done is all providers must be enrolled and credentialed with Medicare. This is one of the areas that I see oftentimes lacking in compliance audits. So yes, all providers need to be enrolled. And I do plan to do a separate episode on incident two regulations. Please subscribe to our channel, rate us, and drop us a review on iTunes. We really appreciate your support. So this concludes today's episode. Until next week, thank you for listening to Alpha Coding Podcast. We'll see you next Monday. For more information about medical coding and billing pro tips, including how to hire Alpha Coding experts, follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or visit our website at www.alphacodingexperts.com.